0: It's time to take the quiz. Five questions, five minutes a day, five days a week. Take the quiz every weekday at thequiz.fox and then listen to the quiz podcast to find out how you did. Play, share, and of course, listen to the quiz at thequiz.fox.
1: I'm Brian
2: Kilmeade. I'm Kennedy. I'm Sean Duffy. And this is the Fox News Rundown.
3: Tuesday, September 20th, 2022. I'm Jessica Rosenthal. In some critical races, the polls are tightening ahead of midterms, as some of the latest generic ballot polling gives the edge to Democrats. And as much as the focus is on the candidates, voters are also focused on the issues.
4: I think the issue environment has changed a little bit. I think it's more favorable to the Democrats. But our our default is still you know, something like a 20 to 25 seat movement to the Republicans in the House, and I'm not sure I'd move off that very much right now.
5: I'm Dave Anthony. There is a push to declare fentanyl, the cause for most drug overdose deaths, a weapon of mass destruction.
6: It outpaces accidents, it outpaces homicides and suicides, all put together in the last two years. So not only is it an incredibly potent drug, it's something that can be used as a weapon, we know that.
0: And I'm Tammy
3: Bruce. I've got the final word on the Fox News Rundown. Republicans were a bit ahead of Democrats for a time in the general polling before November midterms. And then it flipped. Now Democrats are a bit ahead. But with 49 days to go a lot can happen. And Republicans have started creeping up in some critical polling. Take Republican Senator Ron Johnson in Wisconsin. A Fox News poll in mid-August found him trailing the Democratic candidate Mandela Barnes by about four points. And new polling now shows Johnson ahead by a point, so within the margin of error. It's happening in other races too, though. Georgia Republican candidate Herschel Walker is tied with the incumbent Democrat Raphael Warnock. Republican Senate candidate Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania is closing the gap with Democratic candidate John Fetterman. If you live in a purplish state, you probably know about the fierce competition, thanks to all the ad spending.
1: But according to Blake Masters, that's just too bad. He wants to ban all abortions, even in cases of rape, incest, and the life of a mother.
0: We lock the doors to protect the ones we love. Why is Mark Kelly keeping our back door open? He's going along with President Biden on illegal immigration.
3: And as much as we focus on the horse race and the candidates, candidates and voters are focused on the issues. Inflation is by far the most top of mind concern, according to polling. In an interview that aired on 60 Minutes Sunday, President Biden conceded inflation is high, but.
6: We're in a position where for the last several months it hasn't spiked. It has just barely, it's been basically even.
3: Though last month, core inflation, so minus food and gas, did increase. Meanwhile, Republicans see that abortion is becoming an important issue since the Supreme Court overturned Roe at the end of June. South Carolina Republican Senator Lindsey Graham told Fox News Sunday he proposed a national 15-week abortion ban because he said when Republicans are asked about this, quote, the answer can't be, I'd like to lower inflation. Give a logical answer, he said.
6: And to those who suggest that being pro-life is losing politics, I reject that.
3: But when we talk about the general mood, the latest Fox News poll has Democrats ahead of Republicans by three points. Darren Shaw is co-director of the Fox News poll, and Arnon Mishkin is head of the Fox News decision desk. Here's Arnon speaking first.
2: I think it's very clear that the Democrats had a very, very good summer politically. They were able to achieve a number of their legislative goals, um, so they had something to point to as a record. And secondly, where the election had been a sort of a referendum on Joe Biden, Donald Trump reemerged um, very publicly in terms of all the rallies he's been held, holding, but also in terms of the um, search of Mar-a-Lago, which I think put him back in the center ring of American politics. And that helped the Democrats make it in from moved it from do you like Joe Biden, yes or no, to who do you prefer, the Joe Biden administration or the Donald Trump administration? And I think uh, whenever the, a party can make it into a choice rather than a referendum, they can be advantaged. I think that helped them dramatically uh, leading up to the summer on, and it lead, through the summer. And then finally, inflation showed signs of abating. Uh, what we now see actually is inflation shows signs that it's not abating mm-hmm. Um, And the Democrats have had their summer, and now it's the opportunity for the Republicans to sort of make a case for what they can do.
4: Uh, Arnon's got a very coherent storyline for this sort of small movement to the Democrats revolving around their domination of the summer agenda. I think that's plausible, although what I would say is any agenda is better than the one they were dealing with last spring. Mm. The Democrats, you know, you could list the top five issues, and zero of them were favorable to the Democrats, whether it's you know inflation, immigration, crime. None of them were, you know, items on which the Democrats held advantage over the Republicans. You know, you throw uh, Uvalde and Dobbs into the mix, guns and and abortion respectively, and it it slightly improves the outlook for the Democrats. You know, I think the issue environment has changed a little bit. I think it's more favorable to the Democrats, but our, our default is still, you know, something like a 20 to 25 seat movement to the Republicans in the House. And I'm not sure I'd move off that very much right now.
3: There are some more pieces being written saying, you know, be careful about polling. In one New York Times piece, as you know, they cite their chief political analyst saying that Republicans can be harder to poll. They're more mistrustful in talking to pollsters. And that on the flip side, as we look at this latest polling, that pollsters may be bending over backward to find more GOP voters. So things may be a bit fuzzy. Darren, what are your thoughts on that?
4: Yeah, this is, uh, as you mentioned, a Nate Cohen piece in the New York Times. Um, It's important to remember the focal point of the article was... I guess, a decent little analysis of statewide polls in Mm. 2022 compared to 2020 and 2018, even more particularly. He's not talking about the national polls. So the Fox poll that I was referencing, for instance, was pretty much right on in 2020 with respect to Biden's support. So, you know, I think you need to take with a little bit of a grain of salt, these sort of like we're heading for another polling disaster. One, I think that's... (laughs) Overstating what was wrong last time, and and I, I think he's overreading a little bit of the data at present. The general claim we have trouble getting Republicans in our polls is true, but we have trouble getting anybody in our polls these days. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I mean, geez. Uh, now, having said that, just a little little inside baseball here. Uh, Arne and I have had this conversation, right? Which is, I I think it's everything that you're talking about is right. Which is, Republicans are less trustful of the media. They're less trustful of pollsters and government institutions generally. So it is hard to get them on the line, especially these sort of Trumpy Republicans, to use a technical Mm. term. But I'm (laughs) equally concerned about the Democrats in our samples. And what I mean by that, Jess, is that we get almost zero defection amongst the Democrats that we're getting into our samples right now. And I'm a little concerned right now that we're actually and we saw this in 2020 a bit which is the defection rates amongst Democrats on Election Day were slightly greater than those we saw in the polls. You know, once you start getting to moderate Democrats and sort of the kinds that exist in many of these battleground states, um, they're not 99 percent locked down for the Democrats right now. And and we need to take pains and we do at the Fox poll, certainly here, to make sure that we're getting representation on both sides of the partisan aisle.
3: We got some new Fox polling just a few days ago on several fronts, including what issues voters care most about. Abortion does seem to be more of an issue now. Forty five percent said they were extremely concerned about it. And when asked generically about issues of biggest concern, 70 percent said abortion, making it, I think, the sixth most important topic. And the Fox News poll also found the highest number of voters in three years say it should be legal to some extent. We've talked about independent voters and suburban women voters before. Is that where this issue is most critical? And I'll, I'll turn to you first, Arnon. Uh,
2: clearly, um, abortion is a much bigger issue. Um, for years, frankly, for 50 years, um, following the Roe versus Wade decision in 1973, there was a, a sense that abortion was legal and the fight over abortion was, was important to people who were opposed or um, supportive of more abortion restrictions and more or less irrelevant to people who supported abortion rights. With the decision by the Supreme Court to overturn that decision, all of a sudden people who are pro-choice find that it's much more important to them. And I think that what you're seeing is it's not just that it's becoming an important issue, but it's becoming the issue that drives the vote mm-hmm. choice. And it's driving the vote choice for um, people who are more supportive of abortion rights as opposed to people who are want more abortion restrictions
3: more democrats are also talking about immigration now mostly to accuse republican governors of of pulling stunts by sending migrants to so-called sanctuary cities i know polling shows republicans generally care more about border related issues but if democrats start making it more of an issue even just to criticize republicans for bussing or flying migrants elsewhere do they then call attention to you know the incredible number of people coming to the us and end up being forced to address this issue that we really haven't heard a lot on from them in, in several months
4: yeah this is a terrible issue for Democrats uh, anybody anybody who thinks they ought to be talking about this issue should be summarily fired <laughs> you know this is one of those instances where uh, clearly DeSantis in Florida and Abbott in Texas are you know seeking to move this issue more to the forefront and saying, hey, you know, you say this isn't an issue, here's 200 of the estimated 800,000 migrants who are gonna be coming over the border the next year for your local community. The notion that people are gonna be outraged by that, I think is nonsense. You know, it's a bad issue for the Democrats and they just need to hope that, you know, it's isolated to a concern amongst Republicans rather than more broadly spread.
2: You know, I think immigration is clearly a weak issue for the Democrats. What I find strikingly odd on both parties is the Democrats have had warning for six to nine months, about the for actually 60 to 90 years, about the value of uh, and the importance of immigration as an issue. And they haven't figured out sort of how they are supposed to address it. Um, I, and I know that the issue that maybe uh, what, the, uh, what Abbott and DeSantis have done uh, has been effective. I wonder if having the governor of Florida charter a plane from Texas to Massachusetts was sort of a bridge too far. Um, And I wonder if, you know, sort of the fact that he's sort of treating these people as pawns uh, to create a political practical joke may not have been the most effective uh, political strategy he employed, particularly if you listen to uh, Spanish language radio in southern Florida, uh, which apparently has been fairly negative on DeSantis on this issue.
3: And finally, we've been talking a lot about Democrats gaining in the polling as of late, but just to confuse everybody, are things shifting back a little bit? Are are things getting tighter in specific places? You look at um, Dr. Oz in Pennsylvania, the Republican, he's gaining on John Fetterman in that Pennsylvania Senate race. And uh, it's a a real clear politics tie, if you will, if you look at the Georgia race between uh, Raphael Warnock, the Democrat, and Herschel Walker. Adam Laxalt, the Republican in Nevada, has been gaining on the Democrat there, Catherine Cortez Masto. We know that's a a race everybody's watching. Uh, What are your thoughts about some of the latest polling numbers we're seeing in specific races?
4: Um, it is a thing, but I, I think it's it's a thing that has a pretty clear explanation. These are largely seats, target seats, where Democrats are the incumbents, and for the most part, did not face opposition in the primaries. And Republicans in states like Georgia and Arizona and Pennsylvania, you know, they had very divisive, intense primaries, oftentimes mm-hmm. with a, one or more Trumpier candidates versus you know more of the Rhino types, as not has sort of styled them. Um, and they came out with very high unfavors. Dr. Oz was at fifty percent unfavorable amongst Republican voters in the primary, according to the last Fox poll. So part of this, you know, the question is the extent to which it's just a natural coming home of the Republican base versus you're moving into not just Republicans, but independents as well. And you're also seeing state by state, candidate by candidate dynamics that are playing out. And we're talking about the Democrats kind of doing better, a little bit nationally and maybe in the House, but the sort of bulwark they built on the back of kind of strong, moderate candidates in these Senate races facing tough election bids. Um, maybe that's wavering a little bit, you know, so where are we left? I don't know. Stay tuned.
2: <laughs> One thing I would add is is t- to me, everyone always talks in- when they look at polls, they always talk about the difference between the Republican and the Democratic candidate, who's ahead and by how many points. Um, I always think, look more carefully at each individual candidate's number. And if one candidate is at 50, um, that's very different. And the other candidate is 45. That's very different than if one candidate is at 40 and the other candidate is at 35. Yes, in both cases, a candidate is five points ahead. But in one case, the candidate is, is pretty close to victory. In another case, um, mm. it's, it's a jump ball. And I think that's what you're seeing play out in terms of the fact that, you know, Fetterman had a good summer, but then he had, he's clearly having some health issues. Um, Warnock is a candidate that you could argue um, has made a very good case for, for Georgia. But if you look at his numbers, you have to say, if you haven't decided you're for Warnock today, what could the Warnock campaign... Hope to tell you uh, that would get you to decide, and that, and you have to say that Herschel Walker might have a good chance um, winning uh, in, in terms of winning in Georgia.
3: Arnon Mishkin, Darren Shaw, gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us.
2: Thank you for having us. Always a pleasure.
1: Cudlow on Fox Business is now on the go for podcast fans. Get key interviews with the biggest business newsmakers of the day. The Cudlow podcast will be available on the go after the show every weekday at FoxBusinessPodcasts.com or wherever you download your
5: favorite podcasts.
0: This is Tammy Bruce with your Fox News commentary coming up
2: it's
5: a staggering statistic
2: the number one cause of death of of, of people in this country uh, adult males in this country between the ages of 18 and 45 is overdose from drugs from fentanyl predominantly
5: that's republican congressman ronnie jackson a former white house doctor Joined by a fellow House Republican from Texas also worried about it. When fentanyl kills, it doesn't care if you're a Democrat or Republican, doesn't care the color of your skin, who you pray to. It kills all of our children. Congressman Tony Gonzalez has a bill that would make illegal fentanyl distribution resulting in death felony murder. As more and more pills come into the U.S. from Mexico, some in colors that make it look like candy to appeal to kids.
6: In July alone, we saw a record amount of fentanyl seized at our southern border. It was enough fentanyl to kill the United States population.
5: Florida's Attorney General Ashley Moody, a Republican, is one of 18 AGs in states around the country urging President Biden to declare fentanyl a weapon of mass destruction which would require government agencies to coordinate efforts to detect and prevent fentanyl trafficking.
6: Fentanyl certainly is a weapon of mass destruction.
5: Nate Molering is executive vice president at Fort Wayne Recovery and Allendale Treatment in Indiana.
6: It outpaces accidents. It outpaces homicides and suicides all put together in the last two years. So not only is it an incredibly potent drug, it's something that can be used as a weapon. We know that.
5: Explain to me fentanyl. I mean this i know it's a very powerful drug how has it become the scourge that it is
6: well fentanyl number one it's synthetic that's something to remember which means it's man-made so it's very easy to produce in a laboratory and that's really why it became so popular among criminal organizations yeah so what we've seen is it's 50 times stronger than heroin and 100 times stronger than morphine and if you've ever had morphine Morphine's pretty strong, right? We yeah. They use that when um, soldiers are wounded. They use that in the hospital after somebody has surgery oftentimes. And fentanyl is also used for that. But fentanyl used in a controlled setting is very different than uh, used on the street.
5: It's what fentanyl is being mixed with, right, that's causing a lot of the problems. Oh, yeah.
6: What the Mexican drug cartel started doing was taking their kilos of heroin and cutting them into four kilos. But they weren't just using a cutting agent that didn't have anything in it. They were using fentanyl. So now you have more heroin and it's even more potent. So you're quadrupling, if not even higher your profit margins, right? So that's why it became so prevalent in the heroin supply. And to this day, you really can't even find heroin on the street. Everything pretty much is pure fentanyl or something laced with fentanyl. One of the things that has really changed the game is them being pushed online, especially on social media to children. They use apps like Snapchat, Instagram, TikTok, uh, and they use these with fake accounts. And they do that, so when they sell somebody a fake pill and say that they get caught or they pass away, law enforcement has a very tough time tracking that person down. What are they advertising that
5: pill is? What are they advertising they're selling?
6: They're often advertising they're selling Percocet. So Percocet is one of the most commonly known forms of an opiate, right? Right. So they bought pill presses off Amazon. You can do this. It's very easy. And you can buy the blue dye. And they bought cutting agents. The, the two primary cutting agents are acetaminophen and xylazine. Xylazine is an animal tranquilizer. And then the third ingredient is fentanyl. So what they'll do is they'll market it to young people, to adults, people who wouldn't buy a bag of just pure fentanyl and say, hey, but well, I have perk 30s uh, And a lot of people take these as a recreational drug. Or they'll try to buy them off the street because they're trying to save money when it comes to prescription medications. Gotcha, right. So they're often marketed as legitimate Percocet. They're even marketing it as knockoff Vicodin. They have knockoff Xanax and knockoff Adderall. Those are the four most common that we've seen. And fentanyl so many people is, are unsuspecting.
5: And fentanyl is added to that.
6: Fentanyl is 99 times out of 100 the only active ingredient in these pills that would be an opiate. So it's, it's not even that it could be oxycodone mixed with, fentanyl. It's fentanyl. They're just selling it as oxycodone. It's not oxycodone whatsoever.
5: And so people take it, they don't realize how powerful it is, and they're overdosing.
6: Every single day across America, we're losing about 300 people a day, which is an astronomical number. It's the equivalent of basically an airliner crashing every single day in the United States. So what happens is a lot of times people buy this pill and they take it. And the thing people need to watch out for, So we'll talk to a lot of people who say, yes, I use these PERC-30s and I haven't had an overdose yet. The quality control on them is wildly inconsistent. You could have a bag of 10 of these, take the first nine and be totally fine. That last pill you take, number 10, could have a lethal dose of fentanyl. A lethal dose of fentanyl is two milligrams, which is two little grains of salt worth of fentanyl. So we've had coroner's reports come out where people had 10 milligrams of fentanyl five times the amount that can cause death in their system when they pass away. So that's the problem is the quality control. There is no quality control.
5: Nate Molering knows all this because he's lived through all this. Now a recovering addict, he had a nine-year journey to being homeless in Fort Wayne, Indiana, that started when he was injured playing high school football in 2008.
6: They put me on a prescription of Percocet. And I had three different shoulder injuries throughout high school. And so I got prescription drugs very regularly and I ended up playing football in college and I had more injuries, more pain pills. And then what happened in the 2010 era, they started to shut down a lot of these pill mills that were just handing out pills like candy to people. So, and they did that. That was a good thing, right? That's a very good thing.
5: Right. So you couldn't get the prescriptions like you were getting. Is that what you're saying?
6: Absolutely. And this was felt across America, right? We we thought we were doing a great thing, shutting all these pill notes, and it was good. What we didn't think about, you have all these people that are physically and psychologically addicted to opioids. Their supply is gone. So the Mexican drug cartel stepped up. We're going to produce powder heroin. You can snort, you can smoke, you can inject. Um, so they came out with this new product and they, and they marketed it beautifully. By the time that I had moved to heroin, opioid prescription medications on the street were about a dollar per milligram. So if you were taking 80 milligrams twice a day of Oxycontin, you're looking at a $160 a day habit, where you could go buy a gram of heroin, which has typically about 10 uses in it for 50 bucks.
5: So that's obviously very attractive to an addict. Yes. But then absolutely. that heroin becomes fentanyl over time.
6: What we saw was a major shift in about 2013. China, was the leading producer of fentanyl, illicit fentanyl worldwide, and they still are. So they began to produce this very cheap, very potent substance and ship it to Mexico, where they found more than willing partnerships with the Mexican drug cartels to mix the fentanyl at first into the heroin supply.
5: So you overdosed, I'm assuming.
6: So I had multiple poisonings or overdoses, if you would, before this, but they were sporadic, kind of spread out and now it's incredibly concentrated so I had two overdoses in 24 hours
5: two and, in 24 hours two wow
6: yes and uh that's actually become more and more common now with with the the rise of fentanyl being in everything but back then it wasn't nearly as 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 um, problematic as it is now so I I had the same shift of first responders twice <laughs> in 24 hours and uh they were completely blown away and they said, Nate, I don't think you're going to make it a third time. At that point in my life, you know, I was homeless. I had burned every bridge. And um, I said, that's okay. I said, don't come. If you are going to call for a third time, just let me die. Well, they decided they weren't going to accept that as as a reasonable answer. And they called a man who is to this day, one of my best friends. He was a narcotics detective. And I, somebody who was living a life of crime through and through, was not keen on speaking to this man. Sure. However, yeah, I mean... You're probably thinking prison,
5: right? You're th- you're thinking prison or something <laughs> like that, I'm, I
6: imagine. I'm thinking I'm going to get thrown in handcuffs and roughed up. <laughs> yeah. No. And rightfully so. Um, understood, yeah. So he comes in, though, and he just sat down next to me, and he didn't read me the riot act. He sat down and he said, tell me how you got to this point that you're overdosing twice in 24 hours and you're telling these paramedics and firefighters that you want to die and he kind of bared his soul to me and said nate i'm tired of putting people your age i was 24 i was 23 in in body bags i'm tired of talking to parents after the fact and crying with them and consoling them going to funerals i want to try something different with you and we're going to try sending you to treatments that of jail and of course I was blown away by that. <laughs> had you had you tried expecting...
5: any treatment? Have you tried any recovery attempts uh in your addiction before that?
6: Absolutely, I had. They say the average number of times someone has to try to get sober is seven before they make it. And this was about my tenth time Ten.
5: trying. Oh my goodness. Yes. Damn. What is it about number ten for you that five years later here you are the executive director uh, of a recovery and treatment center?
6: I had had enough. I was finally done. I had the 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 pain had become greater than the high. I had lost multiple friends to overdoses at this point. I had lost friends to being killed in drug deals. I had lost friends to suicide. I had been homeless twice now. So I went to treatment, and that was the first time I really got on my knees and um, talked to God and said that I couldn't do it on my own and that I needed help. And that's one thing that we talk a lot about. It's not about willpower. It's about surrendering and saying, this is more powerful than I am. I need people around me, and I need um, a power greater than myself to intervene on my behalf. And I did that, and it made a huge difference for me, but... I also heard, and this is really important for people who are listening, who are waiting for some sign to come down from heaven saying, congratulations, you hit rock bottom. You can get sober now. Recovery isn't for people who want it or need it. It's people who do it.
5: And so are you paying forward every day? Essentially, you are dealing with people who were like you every day?
6: Yes. I, every single day, try to have a moment where I can talk to somebody and offer them a chance to get help. And I have people that work for me now and they do the same thing and we talk about it often is do something for somebody who can't do anything for you in return. And you don't necessarily have to tell anybody about it or post it on Facebook or anything like that. But that's really how I believe mixed with you know some legislation changes, we turn this epidemic around. You know, We don't have to accept things the way they are. And I think people coming from a place of experience truly sitting with those who are struggling and helping them and telling them there's a way out if i made it you can make it is a huge part of it
5: nate molaring executive vice president at fort wayne recovery and allendale treatment in indiana a recovering addict himself thank you so much for joining us
6: thank you for having me so much
1: Subscribe to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. It's time for your Fox News commentary. Tammy Bruce.
5: What's on your mind?
0: The unserious people running this country fiddle as the United States burns with an economy in shambles and soaring crime rates. But make no mistake, the Biden administration has found something it is willing to work on taking complete control of our personal lives and obliterating our constitutional rights in order to do so. The latest iteration of their obsession is a new end run against the Second Amendment through the creation of a gun registry, which is prohibited by federal law and ultimately complete gun control. How? An announcement by the credit card processor Visa revealed that they will be adopting a new merchant code created by an international organization to track purchases at gun retailers. Currently, gun and ammunition purchases are listed generically under a code used for sporting goods stores in general, which includes the gun retailers. The Democrats know they are limited by those pesky and irritating things called the Constitution and federal law, so they decided to hire the proverbial hitmen to do their dirty work for them. Much like the revelation that the Biden administration colluded with big tech to censor and ban Americans on social media. In this case, they want the credit card processors and the banks to be their agent and enforcer in making the Second Amendment a toothless novelty. If you think all of this sounds familiar, you would be right. The Obama administration's Department of Justice implemented Operation Choke Point which pressured banks to cut off businesses not favored by the Democrats, like gun retailers and payday loan businesses, under the guise of rooting out fraud. The Trump administration put an end to that atrocious practice when he became president in 2017. The NRA explains this new merchant code will also provide a new tool to use in the left's lawfare campaign against lawful businesses. The groups claim that they expect banks and payment processors to flag so-called suspicious transactions with the new code. Notably, no standards are given for what would be considered suspicious. Moreover, anti-gun groups will almost certainly use the new flagging system to create liability for any banks or payment processors. Processors who do business with the firearm industry. There is some good news here, though. GOP star Elise Stefanik, the Republican from New York, along with 100 other House Republicans, are demanding answers from all the major credit card processors, including Visa, MasterCard, and American Express, who are also participating in this. Quote, I am adamantly opposed to this attempt to track the information of law-abiding gun owners, and I'm calling out this attempt to infringe on our constitutional Second Amendment rights. As far-left gun-grabbing politicians seek to further erode our Constitution, I'm working to ensure credit card companies are not aiding in their anti-Second Amendment agenda, Stefanik told the New York Post. Godspeed to Elise, but she will only have the power to follow through if the GOP takes the House in November. They also must take the Senate if we are to have any hope, stopping the damage the Democrats are so intent on inflicting. I'm Tammy Bruce, a Fox News contributor, and this column originally appears at amac.us, amac.us.
1: You've been listening to the Fox News Rundown. Rundown. Stay up to date by subscribing to this podcast at foxnewspodcasts.com. And for up-to-the-minute news, go to foxnews.com. From the Fox News Podcasts Network. Subscribe and listen to the Trey Gowdy Podcast. Former federal prosecutor and four-term U.S. congressman from South Carolina brings you a one-of-a-kind podcast. Subscribe and listen now by going to foxnewspodcasts.com.
5: Hi, everybody. It's Brian Kilmeade. I want you to join me
2: weekdays at 9 a.m. East as we break down the biggest stories of the day with some of the biggest newsmakers and, of course, what you think.
5: Listen live or get the podcast now at briankilmeadeshow.com.